Shut Up and Wrestle, an old-school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I'm your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 79 with my guest, Jessica Solt, daughter of Bobby the Brain Heenan. Before we get to that wonderful conversation that I had with Jessica, I want to talk about a couple of quick things. First of all, an article I'm very proud of that is just now hitting the stores, hitting the internet, hitting all whatever places where you buy magazines nowadays, who the heck knows. It is Inside the Ropes, issue number 35, with Roman Reigns on the cover, and it features inside my special in-depth look at the role of transitional world champions in pro wrestling. So we're talking about people like Ivan Koloff, the Iron Sheik, um, even going way back to the days of Dick Schickot in the 1930s, maybe the first transitional world champion ever. People like that who bridged the gap, Bob Backlund in 1994, people who served that role of getting the title from one champion to another. And I did an article looking back on that phenomenon and what it means to wrestling and why we really don't see it so much anymore. So I think it's a topic that should be of great interest to old school wrestling fans like you guys, like the people who listen to this show. So pick it up at InsideTheRopesMagazine.com. You can get it in print or digital form. That's issue number 35, Roman Reigns on the cover. And now a quick and exciting update on Irresistible Force, the life and times of Gorilla Monsoon. Now, ever since I first started this project earlier this year, really in February and March, I have been trying very hard to uh, get an interview which was very special to me, which is the opportunity to talk to Maureen Morella, the widow, of course, of Bob Gino Morella, a.k.a. Gorilla Monsoon. And it's been a little tough because I know when you're doing a project like this, people aren't always sure what your intentions are. So it was very important to me to put my best foot forward, to get to know Gorilla's family. I've had some great conversations and great rapport with Valerie, uh, Gorilla's daughter, who has been immensely helpful so far in putting together the information for this book and getting some recollections of her famous dad. And she's also been incredibly instrumental in finally getting this to happen because in the past week, I was at long last able to interview over the phone for quite a long time, I may add, Maureen Morella, who was a delight to speak to and who has perspectives and insights and memories unlike anyone else around, anybody that I could talk to. So this really was the dream interview for the book. Mrs. Morella had a lot of great memories to share about her husband, his career, his life. And all of that is going to be going into this book. I am very, very proud to say Irresistible Force, The Life and Times of Gorilla Monsoon, which hopefully will be out by the end of next year. That's my goal. We will see, depending on how much time I am able to devote to it in the months to come. We'll see. And I'll, of course, as always, be keeping all of you posted as I always do. But now... Let us get to this week's interview, which is in a way connected to Gorilla Monsoon, because I first got to talk to Jessica thanks to that book, because I wanted to talk to, naturally, the daughter of Bobby Heenan about that unique relationship that Bobby had, that friendship with Gorilla. So it started there, and when we had that conversation, we promised each other we were going to meet again on Zoom, and we were going to this time do an official Shut Up and Wrestle episode 
And that is exactly what we did. So I am going to take you to that conversation right now. You guys are going to love this. Okay, so it's my pleasure this week on Shut Up and Wrestle to bring someone on the show that checks two two boxes as far as this show goes. One is I've been having some people on here that I originally got to know due to the book that I'm working on, on Gorilla Monsoon. And also, I've been doing a lot of episodes talking to the children of Legends of Wrestling. And I have with me here today the daughter of somebody for whom the word legend doesn't even do justice. We will talk about this as the show goes on. She is the daughter of, for many people, including myself, the greatest wrestling manager of all time and one of the greatest workers of all time, period, in any category, Bobby the Brain Heenan. I have with me this week Bobby's daughter, Jessica Solt. Jessica, thank you so much, by the way, making her very first wrestling podcast appearance. I can't believe it. Thank you, Jessica. Absolutely. Welcome to be here. Thank you. Happy to have you. Actually, you know, I had um I also had the daughter. I don't know. I should just make this show about the children of wrestlers. I had the daughter we're, we're, of <laughs> We are the best part of them, that's for sure. <laughs> I had J.J. Dillon's daughter, Pam, on, and yeah. it was also her first wrestling podcast. So, you know, and she's <laughs> now gone on to do more. So you might, when this comes out, oh, I'm okay. just saying, you might start to get some <laughs> requests. It won't be as fun as this one, but thank you so much. This is so nice of you, especially no. after we talked <laughs> about Gorilla for so long, you know, already. Yes. So um, I, I don't even know where to begin because, like, I know I'm gushing a little bit because it's the truth. Your dad was your dad was just almost too good for wrestling. Like, I say that about some people. His talent was so beyond even what you see. His comic timing, his I mean, oh, yeah, he could, you know, as a comedy actor, people have said that he could have been a stand up comic, all these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, was he let, let me just ask you this. Was he aware of how good he was? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, <laughs> he was. But at the same time, he didn't think anyone else was. So wow. he never felt almost good enough to do anything like he had been approached. I was probably junior high for me, maybe the end of, uh, yeah, probably middle school. Uh, he was approached to do some stand up, and uh, he liked it enough, but he didn't like having to memorize material. He liked just being able to, you know, off the cuff, you know, insult people, which I mean, mm -hmm. apparently now is like the big thing in comedy. But, um, but he, he really didn't like that. And he auditioned for a few, you know, TV parts. In fact, they wanted to do a reality series of, you know, my dad before he got the cancer and everything. So, I mean, he was approached in many different avenues. Um, he, I mean, was always, always Bobby Heenan. Um, but I don't think he believed anybody else saw what we saw. You know, like I always told him, you know, you just have a way of getting over with the fans and he's like, Oh, well, you know, I, I'm not sure if he was very, I don't want to say self doubting because he definitely had to have confidence to go out and do what he did, but um, he was very humble about it. Yeah, no, that makes if sense. That makes sense. I wonder if, you know what happens sometimes in, well in wrestling and I, and I've talked to other people about this is I think a lot of times, wrestlers and just all performers in wrestling they get a complex because the promoters the people in charge they don't really want you to know how good they think you are they don't want you to know how valuable you are to them so they're always trying to keep you off your footing and make you guess like well does he really like me am i doing a good job i can't really tell like i, I think they do that on purpose oh for sure there's definitely been times out there where you know, it's my dad always said, if I'm not the one out there doing it, they'll go out and find someone else who will kind of thing. So he always felt that urge to perform at his very best. But he was always like, I mean, his job was always under, 
even for him, as great as everyone thinks he was, there was always somebody standing in the shadows. I won't name names, but, um, or maybe I will later, who knows? Um, but, uh, someone always standing in the shadows waiting to take their place. Even in the WWF or was that a WCW oh, thing? Uh, it was more once we got into WCW, WWF, I think Vince knew what he had and kind of let them roll with it. Yeah. Um, once he got to WCW, it was an every week, like, is he, isn't he, is he, isn't he? It was just, it was very taxing and I don't think it was fun for him anymore, you know? Right. And the th the funny thing about the WWF was, and we talked about this when we talked last time was, you know, it's crazy, but he never really had done that kind of work before. I mean, the announcing, he had always been a manager, Whoa, but, yeah. but Vince was the first one to look at him and go like about what, less than a year into his time there and go, yeah, I want to make you an announcer. Like, how did he feel about that? Um, He was excited because it's a Heenan trait. We know how to talk. I mean, it's sometimes, you know, my husband's like, my God, would you shut up? But I mean, it is what it is. He's still with me. So it can't be that bad. Um, but I think Vince understood because at the time they were doing like, um, it was right around the time, like that Piper's pit and all those like fun little gimmicks they had. Um, I think Flair may have had one. I watched one about Adonis the other night. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, but I think Vince realized how quick my dad was at that point. He actually put my dad in charge of like teaching the guys how to do interviews. Really? Yeah. So when my dad, before the shows and everybody's cut doing 15 minute cut segments, my dad was the one producing him and telling him, no, you need to do this more. You need to do this more. And, some listened and some didn't, but wow. you know, well, yeah, because, no. because he had been used to doing those promos for years. I mean, before he yes. was an announcer, I mean, obviously he was still talking in a, in a different capacity. I mean, you know, even going way, going way back in his career for me, to me, him and Nick Bockwinkle is <laughs> the most perfect wrestler manager, heel wrestler manager combination ever. It's like the prototype of everything. Because that's when people still believed wrestling yes. was real. And oh my so God. people hated way, your dad. <laughs> oh, you know, I was talking to my husband the other day and he's like, I was like, why did you stop wrestling? Because he said he stopped wrestling, watching wrestling. He's, I was like, was it really because dad made you mad? He's like, no, I'm serious. I really quit watching wrestling because your dad was always getting in the middle of everything, always starting shit. And I was like, yeah, you ever thought you'd be married to? He's like, oh, my God, I'm married to him with boobs. That's basically what it was. Because he's like, you two together, my dad and I together were, we were a lot. <laughs> well, what I noticed too, I, I like to hear that because I have to say, I mean, without knowing you outside of these interviews, it seems like you had a very good, healthy relationship with your dad. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm only saying that because that's not the standard thing in wrestling. A lot of wrestlers, kids do not have glowing things to say about their parents and sometimes they'll be like i i hardly ever saw him and i'm sure there was a lot of that too but yeah. it seems like it seems like you had a great relationship well that's um he was the reason for that he made sure we had a great relationship he put in i mean there were there was a span of like 10 years towards from i guess from like 84 to 94 he was gone 300 days a year and that covered birthdays, holidays, you know, sporting events that I was involved in and whatnot. And he missed a lot, but man, when he was there, he was there and he made up for it and he made sure I knew what he was doing. So when he would go away on the summers and stuff, he took me with him so that I understood what he was doing. And I, I felt it was important things, what he did, because I saw not only people hate him but people that loved him and sometimes people need that outlet from life you know and he gave that to them and I was very proud of him I'm very proud of him yeah and I and I think WWF gave him such a platform I mean obviously he had already been a star in wrestling before that but they made him into a household name to the oh, point yeah, where even people that didn't watch wrestling or know wrestling, like they know Bobby the Brain Heenan. 
And yeah, you know, and plus he got to do the announcing and plus, and I mentioned this to him when I interviewed him that one time, he had to be relieved that he didn't have to constantly bleed all the time. I mean, your dad was one of the most, <sighs> I mean, he was one of those guys where you would just look at him and he would start bleeding. Yeah. That had to be so, a relief, like no more bleeding. Hooray. That was a big thing. And I actually have a picture. It's in my son's room and he's on his game and I don't dare go in there because it smells funny and He's very obnoxious, like my father. Um, but I have a picture. It's an 8 by 10 picture of my dad bloodied in 76. A colored photo over my oh. son's bed. Oh my <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, but it's funny because I was always trying to explain to John, my husband, how they would break off pieces of the razor blade and tape it in certain places. And we were watching The Wrestler with Mickey Work the other night, and he did it. And I was like, that is, and he's like, cause he's, I was like, that's how he got in the picture. Um, which that's a very, such a sad movie. I could barely watch it, but that's neither here nor there, <laughs> but, um, a lot of but people have trouble. To, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, trying to, you know, explain to him just the, you know, I mean, heck my dad broke his neck in, I think it was his last either his first year with WWF or his last year with AWA. It was like 84. He was sent to Japan for almost a year. It was like nine months. But mom and I and my grandmother got to fly out to Hawaii three times and see him. But I was only four, so I didn't really appreciate it. I know. Whatever. I was four. Get over it. Um, I would appreciate it now if someone wants to send me. Uh, my cash app is... No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know... He uh, just, he he ran, there was a trampoline in the floor and he was like, oh, a trampoline in the floor. And I mean, he was, if nothing, a giant kid. Yeah. And in fact, I, in fact, I called him my toy. It, it seems like back then, I mean, even just my perspective as a fan without really knowing that much, it seemed like his he was always hurting his neck something was always going on with his neck like he would do <laughs> there would be an angle where he something would happen basically so he could wear the neck brace and have an explanation for why he had a neck brace on yes. but but it seemed like constantly like he really messed his neck up badly well what happened and i apologize if barking stop starts my dogs are getting my two male dogs are getting amorous after feeding time oh nice sorry i just threw a book at him um, don't call Pete on me, people. Um, but he, uh, he, I think he broke his neck in 94. So he ran and jumped on the trampoline and it threw him against the wall. And he, he obviously felt his neck hurt like a whiplash or something. Wait, well, so this, like this the, wasn't a wrestling injury? The, the, this it gets was... better. It gets okay. better. So like two months later, he's in the ring and Andre, you know how Andre did that thing where he backed into the corner and sat on you? Sure. Yeah, where he also liked to fart. And oh my God, could that man rip a fart? Um, <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've heard like the story. 15 second, 20 second. They were like masterpieces. Anyways, um, but he sat on my dad and my dad said he heard a crack. And that's when it started hurting real bad. So that was in 84. My dad went to work for WCW in 1994 with Turner Broadcasting, which was the first time he had insurance to fix the broken neck. Wow. He had to have his C4 through his C7 fused, a disectomy, rods, a cage. Funny story. 2016, I'm coming out of Frenchies down in Clearwater Beach. I trip over the um, parking curb thing that stops the car. Yeah, whatever. I've been maybe inhibiting a few. Um, anyways, I trip. I go headfirst into a bush. I get up. I'm like, I'm okay. Two days later, I'm in emergency surgery to have my C4 through my C7 fused with a distectomy with rods, a cage, and a plate. I mean, oh. I couldn't make that. I couldn't make that shit up. You inherited an injury. That's yeah. that's the first. That's the first. I inherited that's... his bad home. What I that... did. <laughs> well, because the thing is, and I know that that played a part in why he, you know, stopped managing, and he was really strictly yeah. at the table. But because the other thing about it was. Look, there were a lot of managers who they didn't do much. Like there were some wrestlers who became managers because they were so banged up. Like Freddie Blassie was one. Yeah. His knees and his hips were so bad. So he didn't really do much. He would just stand there and yell and shake his cane. Right. 
But your dad was unbelievable. Your dad Still was flipping upside down in the right. time buckle at night. Your dad and other people have said this. Dave Meltzer has said this. Other people. Your dad outworked most of the workers on the card, like to the point where you would go, "Why isn't this guy wrestling?" You know, if he could take bumps oh, like that. Oh, I know. He um, was a hell of a worker. He was so fun to watch. But those. Like, even my son was like, "Look at him!" Like we were watching like YouTube videos of like the uh or like AWA. I, there was a one match I forgot. Oh, it was the weasel suit match. I showed oh, my yes. son with, you know, with Greg Gagne. Is, is that the one? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Who I actually just spoke to the other day too. Oh. Um, he, uh, cause tomorrow's going to be the one anniversary, one year anniversary of my mom's passing. And so he was just calling and checking on me. Um, yeah. So you'd be surprised at the people that do that. That's that nice. Do. Um, but yeah, uh, I, we were watching the weasel suit match and my, even my husband was like, Damn, he was spry. And I was like, he's also a lot younger back then, too. Right. So, but he uh, he was good. I mean, he the turn upside down in the turnbuckle thing, he's the one that taught Flair how to do that. And that was a Ray Stevens thing, too, who I know your oh, dad was yes. close with. Oh, my God. My mother called him her third child, her second <laughs> child, or second husband. Um, Ray lived with us up until the day he died. Really? Yeah. The last, the last 10 years of his life, dad took care of him. Well, mom took care of him. Ray just followed her around like a little puppy. It was adorable. No they had the cutest. Yeah. But I mean, I told you, my dad just, he's got the biggest heart and he takes people in and, you know, my mom, huge heart too. So she, you know, she, okay, you know, whatever, Ray. So for somebody that was a very good person and obviously seemed to like to help people, and all that kind of thing. Like, did did your dad ever feel funny that he was one of the most hated people in wrestling? Like, I don't think your dad, except maybe at the very at the very end in WCW, he was sort of kind of a face. But other than that, I mean, he was just hated. So it didn't bother him. It never got, got to him. Loved, Loved it. it. <laughs> Loved it. And do you understand when I would go to wrestling shows with my dad, he could look up in the stands and find me. And the first person to start that weasel chant was me <laughs> also if anybody's gonna put him over it's gonna be me speaking of the weasel thing because you mentioned the suit i love the fact that he carried the suit over like from the awa to the wwf because then he did a weasel match with i think the ultimate warrior right yeah and just... the funny i have a weasel suit that my i put my son and my i have pictures somewhere i'll have to send them to you of my kids in the weasel suit that he had made for me that's glorious. For that Halloween. Yeah, by the same lady who made his weasel suit. That is fantastic. Um, yeah. But uh, so I wanted to mention too, because we were talking, I, I go all over the place with this show. I hope you don't mind. Yeah, it's I'm, not me even, too. I'm sorry. It's I'm not an interview. Sorry. It's not an interview. It's a conversation. <laughs> but um, with the bleeding, let's get back to that. Oh, first. yeah. Because your dad also was on a lot of wrestling magazine covers because that's what they love. Yes. They love the blood. So yes. they would have the Sheik on there. They would have superstar Billy Graham, like the guys that like to bleed a lot. And there's that famous one, that really famous one, where it just says something like, uh, oh, my God, Bobby, wh what happened to your face? And he's just like his whole face, as they say, is a crimson mask. But what, what I appreciated about your dad, and this had to be on purpose, was it seemed like and and really, I need you to confirm this and tell me I'm not crazy. I it, it seemed like when he would cut himself and lose flash people, I'm sorry to, you know, destroy the illusion. But when he would because a lot of guys would try to hide it by their hairline or under their hair. And oh, things. no, it right. was across the forehead. right across. But what your dad did, it looked like at least he was doing it along where the wrinkles of the forehead are so that if you look at him. It just kind of looks like they're just really bad forehead wrinkles. Like, doesn't look he like he has. Genius. Right. It doesn't look like scars. He was. <laughs> so that was on purpose. I knew it. Yes, it was. Absolutely. He was. Um, it's funny because he was actually a very vain person, but he was always very con conscientious um, about his weight, especially in the 90s, because he came from an era where as long as you were big, you were a wrestler. And then came people like the Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, 
you know, ravishing Rick Rude and whatnot. And um, it wasn't until he got cancer that he actually lost weight. And he's like, well, doesn't this just suck? Because now I want to eat. But he was always um, very aware of the certain persona he was projecting to the fans. And he, you know, if he had to come home covered in stitches and whatever, as long as he got over, that's all he cared about was giving the best show for the fans. That's all he ever cared about. Well, he knew he he knew his place in the business. He knew what he was good at and like like he knew that these people who hate me so much, they're going to just love to see me get beaten to a pulp every night. So that's what I have to do because that's what they want to see. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> There's something And but yet yeah, those are the people that sent the fan letters that we still, up until the day he died, and even for years after, my mom would still get fan mail um, sent to the P.O. box, and we would read and uh, write to every single person that wrote in. And wow. he was very big. We'd sit there and watch Sports Center. We'd put the Cubs on or, you know, football was on, and I'd read the letters, and he'd tell me what to say, and I'd write back to him because his his he had the writing of a serial killer, I swear to God. But, um, but he... Uh, the fans were a huge part to him. That was that was his biggest. He felt the fans were a gift to him. If that makes sense. No, it does. What's the uh, earliest that you remember of him as res- in wrestling? Like, what, what's your earliest memory? Um, geez. Like, do you remember when he was in the AWA? Oh, you know, I do. I remember going to an arena. It was probably Minneapolis. Um, I do know that my first babysitter um, was Killer Carl Cox. <laughs> just, I'm so my sorry. Parents I'm just picturing no, Killer no, Carl dude. Cox as a babysitter. Dude. I'm sorry. Dude. Okay, so here's how it went. My mom and dad left me at home with Carl. He's like, no, I got this. I got this. Um. So my mom and dad are my my dad's thing. My mom's sitting in the show, and Carl walks in with a baby in his hand. <laughs> he brought me to the show. <laughs> that kind of defeats the purpose. But it was so funny because my mom's like, "What the hell are you doing here?" He's like, "It's my little arena mouse." Because if you know, oh, oh god, girls that would follow wrestlers around, we call them arena rats. Well, I was this little arena mouse. So that I think, but I remember I was probably like two, three, but I remember vividly that I, I remember my mom's huge Shaka Khan hair. I remember uh, Carl had already gone a little gray at that point. Like I remember certain things. As long as he didn't it's give you a brain you remember stuff like that. No, yeah. no. Good. Yeah. That would have to be pretty early on. I'm imagining. That. Yeah, would- that was, that was pretty early on. And um then, of course, once he got to, you know, but see, back then it was still, you know, kayfabe the business, make sure everybody knows it's real. And, you know, Vince is what made it for me, at least me growing up. And it was about family. So that's when and also not just about wrestling, but about kids and eat your vitamins, you know, the whole Hulk Hogan era with all the Saturday morning cartoons and those delicious ice cream bar sandwiches. Um, which if I could find one, those things were amazing. Um, but anyways, (laughs) food, um, but Vince made it more about family. So when I would go backstage, you know, I remember having water gun fights with Shawn Michaels (laughs) and getting yelled at by Hawk from the road warriors, Mike, because. I squirted him in the face and he had just gotten his, he had just finished doing his makeup. Oops. Um, funny story though. I went to his wedding to his wife at the dances are here in St. Pete. Um, when I was nine years old and I was like, Oh, I've always, I, I want to get married here. Well, 2001, I got married to my husband at the dances are. So it was because of Hawk and the road warriors. <laughs> wow. See, there you go. But, but yeah, it was Vince that made it more about family and um, everybody. I mean, hell, I remember Virgil and Ted DiBiase and um, Elizabeth, Randy's wife. Um, she would come. We'd do fox hunting together. We'd go horseback riding all the time together. Virgil used to come to my horse shows all the time. Wow. Yes. 
That's really cool to hear. You know, yeah. it, it's interesting to hear because, you know, there's a lot of of the dark side you hear all the time. Like, you know, I mean, they made a whole TV show out of it. Right. But it's yeah. interesting to get the perspective of the people that were kids hanging out in the locker room and things in those days, because I was talking to somebody else, too, recently who was telling me, I forget who it is now, who was saying, you know, that they were they were a kid and they were basically just allowed to go wherever they wanted because yep. they, they were one of the wrestlers kids and there really was yep. no limitation. And so you got like that VIP backstage pass, you could go wherever you wanted. I didn't go in the men's locker room, but I found my way into Vince's office quite a few times. Well, I have to say, I'll tell you, I, I, I don't think I've ever even talked about this, but in all the years that I worked there as an interviewer, I, you know, I would go to shows a lot to interview wrestlers. I was mostly in the office in Stanford, but I would go on the road mm -hmm. and I was there for seven years. I can't even count how many shows I was backstage at. I mean, it was a lot. It was it was a lot. It was probably like hundreds. Yeah. And I never I don't think ever actually walked into the actual locker room like changing room like like the actual locker room i would be backstage i'd be walking the halls i'd be going in the offices but i never went in there i just i don't know i just felt like that's for them like you know what i mean i work for the company I, I have access and all this but and i knew people that did i knew some writers did i just never felt comfortable going in there it was just not, not for me you know no and i and i get that um I mean, my father probably would have wrung my neck if I had tried, but I usually ended up at the poker table with, you know, Chief Jake Strongbow and Arnie Skolin and, you know, playing cards. That's how I learned to play poker at eight years old. <laughs> they taught me how to play poker in the back before, you know, before the shows and stuff. And dad was, that's usually when dad was doing the interview stuff and I'd go in and watch him, but I'd go in and out and I'd go to craft services and I'd go hang out with the makeup lady and I'd Linda and I'd go um here there you know and I you know just, and I uh, there was um the locker room and then there was the part where they like had their props and stuff um where the makeup lady was and that's where um I mean it was Sean's fault he bought the water guns but um I got yelled at and then he <laughs> saw who he was yelling at he's like oh never mind and I they can't yell at me the, yeah, once they know that you're Bobby's <laughs> daughter. The other, the thing that's funny about it too, and I mentioned this to you, but there was, so in some of the cases with some of the wrestlers back then and managers, maybe it's because we were kids and I'm a kid watching it. They always seemed to be older than they were, and right. and your dad, I don't know what it was. I don't mean it in an insulting way, but it's like no. he just he just carried himself like a man who was older than he was and maybe it was just because he seemed like he was like a borscht belt comedian like he should have been working nightclubs in the 50s or something you know well but, it's but funny he, you say that is he like i'm older now than he was when i was watching him as a kid on tv which i, I can't understand you know because well he didn't go as far as the ass god he left that to nick <laughs> but um oh my god he wore that thing everywhere even to like regular dinners on the weekends he always wore an ascot and we're like i'm gonna Nick start getting into ascots i feel like i want to I'm, I'm reaching my ascot phase <laughs> there almost 50 it's time right <laughs> yeah yep yep and uh but uh no it, it's he's always you know he had to grow up very quickly in life you know uh, dropped out of school in the eighth grade, worked three jobs, supported his mother, his grandmother, and his grandmother's sister, my Aunt Ida. Um, and, you know, started working at 19, but he was already working for three years at the arena that they, you know, they met, whatever. Um, so he had to grow up very quickly. But I think when he finally was able to create his persona, he felt he had to look the part of the Ivy Leaguer, the well-to-do country club snob, if you know what I mean. Yes. So um, I guess he always felt that they always dressed a little older. Mm. Um, and I mean, I, I remember when he used to have his suits made, um, not even the sequin ones, but just regular suits. And it was just fascinating to me. Like he knew exactly 
the way he wanted the brain to look. He always was very sure of how, like from the feathered blonde hair to his hair was naturally red. He was a ginger. Yeah. Wow. Oh my yeah. God. When he, when he was, uh, when he finally got older and his hair just went white or whatever, he tried to grow a beard and it just came in bright red. You're blowing my mind right now. I don't think right. I don't think anybody knows this. I cannot think of anyone who knows, at least among wrestling fans, that Bobby the Brain Heenan was a redhead. Maybe yeah. maybe listeners will correct me and tell me I'm dumb. He never had his natural hair in wrestling, right? I mean, even when he first never, first never. Okay. And I have seen the funny thing is I've seen some photos from when he very first, first started, I think when he was even kind of trying to be a, a full-time wrestler in the beginning. And he does, before he takes on the, the persona of the manager, he does, you could tell that he's a very young kid, that he's a young kid, oh, he's young, he's young. He's a real like baby-faced, and I mean literally baby-faced kid. And then he becomes this manager and it's like he instantly ages overnight just into this urbane <laughs> character to i i think that was part of i think that was by design if that yeah. makes any sense um because i mean god knows this man wore the same damn sweatshirt every day he was home and <laughs> didn't watch it and the same damn pair of shorts so the bobby the brain heenan was very calculated in the way he dressed like he you know the BH ring on the ring, you know, and the certain type of glasses. And he had my mom before men went to nail salons. My mom and I would do his little manicure and everything. And he, he is a very particular way. He felt being from Beverly Hills. Um, don't I wish? Uh, oh, I'd be such a bitch if I was from Beverly Hills. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I mean, I am now, but it'd be worse. Um, but he just had a very, um, he knew exactly what he wanted his character to be. Right. And I think but it was like, all on purpose. Like the and the reason I brought it up before is because I remember learning later, like there there had been a segment that uh him I might have been something on primetime. It was him and Gorilla, and you and your mom were in it, but uh, but they didn't say that it was Bobby's wife and daughter, like you you were playing somebody, or were you just supposed to be the first garden with the it, animals? Yeah, I think it might have been or the first whackers. And I remember I found out, I guess, on the Internet that, hey, this is really, you know, uh, this is Bobby's daughter, Jessica, in the shot. And I'm looking and I'm I'm looking at the year and I'm doing math in my head. And I'm like, Bobby Heenan has like a little like a daughter who's a kid. Like it doesn't like, I'm thinking he's got to he be was... like a grandfather, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> he will. And he. um In that you know time and era and stuff he had me when he was 35 so he okay was older well that makes a little more sense then i you guess know? yeah because i think you were maybe like an early teen at the time of this thing so i can't remember what it was or maybe i'm maybe you were younger i don't know but but all right so this i have was... a red bow in my hair boy you're asking me to remember a lot a red bow what color shoes was i wearing now um <laughs> your feet were weren't the, in the was, shot okay <laughs> were the bushwhackers coming down like a log ride or whatever yes this was okay. it was this i was yes. like nine or ten okay, and that was so... at Bush gardens here in tampa which i just took my kids to two weekends ago did, um, um, did your your dad get to know his grandkids was he around yeah for that or... yeah okay he my grandson, so my dad went through his jaw replacement surgery in January of 2000. I'm sorry, December of 2006, January of 2007. Um, and then I had Austin, my son, a year later. So he was born in 2008. He'll be 15 in October. And um, then I had my daughter, Hannah, in 2011. She'll be 12 next month. Um, going on 27, God help me. Um, she's just like my father. It drives me freaking crazy. She has an answer for everything. I swear to God. And she's a female. And um, anyways, I needed to vent for a second. <laughs> I'm right <laughs> so there with like you. Grandfather. Yep. She's so much like my dad. Um, but so is my son, though, too. And then my husband, I married my father by marrying my husband, who is exactly like my dad. It's And those two together, they loved each other. They played off each other very well. But, um, but the kids so, know that their grandpa is... 
Oh yeah. Icon, right? Oh yeah, they do. They do for sure. In fact, um, they knew growing up because my dad had his office filled with all his, you know, memorabilia and stuff like that. And granted, he didn't look the same anymore. Um, They knew who Pop Pop was and they know his voice if they hear it because we watched a lot of YouTube videos and everything like that. But um, I'm almost scared if my dad had been healthy because the shit they would have gotten into is just absolutely terrifying. And if my dad could talk in 2023, he would have been canceled a year ago. <laughs> well, everybody always likes to say, and and it's true, you know, that um, Bobby Heenan is the classic example of stuff that you just couldn't do in wrestling today. You, you, mm-hmm. just, you just couldn't. And I know people get, you know, that's such a cliche now when people say that, oh, well, you couldn't do that today. But it's really true. The things that he was best known for doing, like, I don't even mean, I'm not even talking necessarily about politically correct stuff, although that's part of it. But even just from a production point of view, like, they don't allow the heel announcers to really tear down the baby faces the way your dad did. Your dad would just dismiss them and ridicule them. And, and, but, but the thing that I think it's that people don't understand who make these dumb rulings is your dad was getting them over, but he knew the difference between getting them over and burying them. I mean, like your dad, I'm trying to, (laughs) I can never do it justice, but some of the things that he would say, like um, who was the wrestler? There was a wrestler who had a, a song that he had done and Bobby Heenan, Bobby said, uh, it's my second favorite song. And Gorilla said, what's your first favorite? And he said, all the oh, other the ones other are one. tied. <laughs> right. Like, he, I don't know who it was. It couldn't have been the Honky Talk Man because he was a heel. But it was a wrestler who had done a song. And, yeah, things like that. Or th- actually, the one time that he said something that I thought, like, I can't believe that they let him do that. Oh, sometimes I do. Well, he said, and, and again, it wasn't a politically incorrect thing. It was Virgil. He said, um... Well, he goes, well, Monsoon, you win some and you lose some unless you're Virgil and then you just lose all of them. And <laughs> going like, I don't know if I would have let yeah, him say that. No, but see, <laughs> then my dad and Virgil were such good friends because he knew he was just trying to get him over or, you know, he never had any malicious intent or malice behind it in any well, I mean, some guys he thought were total assholes, and he really did mean most of the stuff he said. But that was very rare. Really I know he was. wasn't a Brian Pillman fan. I, I know that probably is, yeah. goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> One of the and most he got notorious so much, moments. Yeah, he got in so much trouble for that. And that was a natural where dad had just had his surgery. Mm-hmm. And he was so scared of being hurt again that when Brian came up behind him and grabbed him and Dad specifically said, you come up there, you don't touch me. Mm -hmm. And for people that don't know that are listening to this, if you haven't seen it or if if you're young or whatever, there was there's a Clash of the Champions special from WCW in the 90s where Bob where where Bobby at that point is strictly an announcer, untouchable, like we said. And Brian Pillman comes down, who's doing that loose cannon gimmick where he's totally unpredictable. He takes it a little too far. He sneaks up behind Bobby and kind of grabs him like by the shoulders, kind of. Mm -hmm. And Bobby freaks out and says, you know, what the F are you doing? Right. Isn't (laughs) that what he says? Yeah. But he doesn't say F. He says the whole thing. He said, what the Right. And uh, he get, but, and I remember clearly this is a man who thought, I'm I'm fired. That's the end. Yes. Because he got up from the table. I remember this so well because you never heard anybody say that on a wrestling show. He got he up. He got very he, upset. He he walked around the ring in the middle of the broadcast, like Tony Schiavone or I guess whoever it was just took over. He walked halfway up the ramp, and you could tell it's almost like he's having like a panic attack. He's on live TV and he's thinking like, what did I just do? Mm-hmm. And, and he gradually collects himself and comes back. But it's like this, it's this very real moment yeah. and, and that he has there where he, he had to think he was fired. He did. And he, he's very lucky. He wasn't, he was fined very heavily. Um, Yeah. That was a, very scary moment and then they that was kind of 
I was right before I think Ryan died, in fact, but that was kind of, you know, where you just don't touch, you know, they were still, that was when they were up on the pedestal where it was like far away from the ring. So there was no reason for him to be over there. And they specifically said, if you're going to do it, don't touch, you know, at least don't touch Bobby because he just had surgery. And well, your dad would. No, I was, was just going to say, either yeah. he was too high and didn't hear him or just didn't care. Yeah, it may be a combination of both. Or it yeah. could have been that, you know, it could have also been because he just kind of, he doesn't really do much to him. He could have really just not really been thinking it through and just thinking, I'm going to put my hand on his shoulder and say something or do or do something. And your dad immediately thought this wrestler's putting his hands on me. Right. You know and what I, I mean? Like, I don't think he was going to hurt too. him. Oh, right. no, no, I don't think so either. But, you know, my dad he was very sketchy about people coming up behind him simply because he lived with that pain for so long. He didn't want anything to happen to him again. And so he was always very, you know, watch my neck, what, which now I'm saying that watch my neck, you know, cause well, it's usually the dogs and they don't hear me. So, but, <laughs> but the things he would, the, the, the things he would say again, and 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 he wasn't the only one. A lot of the announcers of that time, even Gorilla Monsoon, some of the things they would never let you say. I remember oh, when no. he would do the thing with Tatanka where he would go, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? You know, and, and Tatanka was an actual, you know, Chris Chavis, an actual Native American. Yeah, I know. I remember they had when one year when they had Wahoo McDaniel at Slamboree and he was in WCW and your dad goes, Wahoo shows up on the broadcast and your dad goes, I just passed him by on the highway. He was selling blankets outside the arena. And right. And, you know, he would the the Japanese wrestlers, you know, whatever he he would say. Oh, yeah. And but every but that's the thing everyone did. And I think wrestling and entertainment in general just dealt a lot more in in stereotypes and especially in, in ethnic kind of humor and things like that. And as far as your dad was concerned and and the people that he worked for, that was part of his job. He was doing his job. So, you know, there's nobody that could ever be another Bobby Heenan, although people try. I feel like um, there's um, I don't know if you follow current wrestling at all, but there's an announcer in W in WWE right now, Corey Graves, who is a a real student of wrestling history. Like he kind of grew up around it. And yeah. I know I know he's a big Bobby Heenan fan, and he'll sometimes take some of your dad's expressions and things, and sometimes he'll even try to update them and make them like more modern. And you could tell that he's trying to do that, like he'll and not even just expressions, but things that your dad would do, like when he would he would do this thing where he would say something because he was in it, like he would praise a wrestler, right? And then the wrestler would do something that he didn't like. And then he would start insulting the wrestler. You know, oh, yeah. He would just do like a total 180. Mm-hmm. Like he'll do things like that. And you go, okay, he's he's copying Bobby the Brain Heenan for sure. But for me, like, you know, some people be like, oh, he's copying me. I think that's great. And that's what the sincerest form of flattery is. Someone trying to imitate and making it their own and you that just means you're a fan and i don't think dad would have any issue with something like that but i think now he would say there's only one bobby heenan he would say that let's not now let's not make dad out to be a saint but (laughs) he also um was all about helping the next generation did he have well i know like he was really good friends with mike tenay i know that um were there other uh managers or newer managers or uh, announcers that he really liked what they did and said like this is somebody that I is kind of like picking up on what I did or carrying on the tradition that kind of thing um well him and Mike played off each other so well because they were almost they were best friends in fact I was in Vegas in February and went to dinner with Mike and his wife Karen um I still, you know, I still talk to them all the time and they still check on me. And uh, I don't know if he said to me anybody, but I'm sure he had his own thoughts. And Um, his his friendship with Mike, was that strictly from WCW or did they know each other before that? No, that was strictly from WCW. And those two were just, I mean, my God, they were, they, um, 
where Mike just giggles at everything my dad would say. And so <laughs> the two of those two together and then Karen and my mom were best friends. So um, anytime I go to Atlanta, even after they left to visit my boyfriend, now husband, and my parents had moved back to Florida. I'd stay with Karen and Mike because uh, they didn't want me staying at my boyfriend's house. Well, they are your parents, but um... yeah, my boyfriend stayed at Karen and Mike's, but whatever. <laughs> but that that's the beautiful thing about your dad is that he was like we said, he was always Bobby the Brain Heenan. Like you said, he, he was always on. And I, you know, I met him that one time. And we talked about it the last time because I it was for when I interviewed you for the Gorilla book because I mentioned Gorilla Monsoon in the interview to him and he got very emotional. But what I noticed was again yeah. I know I wasn't expecting how actually really real life funny that he was going to be. And I'm going like this is just for me. There's nobody here. There's no cameras. We're not yeah. on TV. I'm just sitting at a table and catering, interviewing him. And he is killing me with these jokes and things and like rapid fire, just like he's on TV. And I'm going like, boy, he's really like this. And he's doing it with everybody, not just me. Yeah, he um, I always said I was very more than happy to share him with the rest of the world because what you saw of Bobby Heenan, that was him. That was him. You didn't get to see his heart as much because he was he heel and he felt he needed to put him, himself over in that way. Um, you know, so you didn't get to see his huge heart. Um, but everything else, that, that was dad. Just constant. Like, tomorrow's the one year anniversary of my mom's death. And it's I'm not looking at it the anniversary of her death. I'm looking at more of one year ago today, my mom went to heaven to help God out with dad kind of thing. <laughs> You know, so um, because he was a handful and uh, we always said my mom needed to be canonized. So your mom and many, many wrestling wives. Yes. In fact, my mom. uh, My dad, towards the end, when they would go to like autograph signing stuff, he'd purposely tell dirty jokes to make my mom have to repeat them. (laughs) <laughs> and she would get so embarrassed <laughs> that's perfect and you know that that's the thing for a lot of people that have been fans of him you know yes it was it always seemed very cruel that you know his greatest gift is what got taken away from him you know at the end of his life but at the same yeah. time and again we all know it's not like this 24 7 we you know we know how life is but in in public facing situations going out into the world doing autograph signings making public appearances it's like your dad made the best out of even something like that he still had a sense of humor i mean still that's incredible yeah yeah you know the whole uh he had a saying well people have a saying when you they give you lemons make lemonade dad was like when you give you lemons make lemonade with some vodka (laughs) <laughs> you know, he, he uh, that might be how many years he was with uh, Andre, too. But uh, but yeah, he always it wasn't until towards the end where it really started getting to him. But he always, you know, lived every day for uh, calling me and the kids and the kids couldn't understand him towards the end. But he still talked to him on the phone every day if I didn't go over there, you know, bring him over or whatever. And um, because, you know, with working in school and stuff like that, it was just sometimes hard to get over there every day. And um, but he still made it a habit of calling. You know, sometimes he forgot he dialed in a phone and just leave it on the bed for 45 minutes. And then I'd hear all sorts of weird noises. But But, um, but yeah, he um, he was a really positive person and he wanted he got frustrated when people weren't positive like he was, hmm. if that makes sense. It does, because, I mean, I mean, that's some example to set. That's the thing. If you could be positive about that, you can be positive about anything. And I think I don't know if it's just because now I, you know, I know the person more. I know more about the person and I, you know, I've, I've read his book and everything and and I've heard so many behind the scenes stories. It's almost like when I watch him now. 
as an adult and I'm not this little kid that wants him to fall off a cliff anymore. When, <laughs> right. I, when I watch him now, I go, you know what? I can actually tell under the surface that that's a good person. That's a good man. There's yeah. just something about him that, you know, the second the cameras are off that he's like, you know, playing with kids and like doing little magic oh, yeah, tricks. And sure. You could just tell. And look, I won't say that about every heel in wrestling. I mean, there are some guys and managers and things or wrestlers where you go, I think that guy's probably a real scumbag in real life. Yeah, but, pick the bruiser to be. But you know, right I there. know, I know your dad had no love for him. Mm-hmm. But but your dad, he just projects there's like a warmth to him where you just know that inside he's just laughing at the whole thing of just the ridiculousness of here I am, this character that everybody hates. Yes. I'm not like this at all, you know? Yeah. But now, I know all my friends growing up in high school, um, you know, I'd have a bunch of people over or something and they just most kids would be like, oh, my God, you guys go back upstairs. But no, I, my mom and dad were down in the mix talking to everyone and everyone loved my parents. And it was just always a very loving home. Well, let me a ask fun you a loving home, too. It's it's funny. I, I was um I'm asking all these questions now that sound like winding down questions, but you brought up something that I have to hit on, especially since you're here and, and you said it, but what, how much do you know? I know this is before your time, but how much do you know about what was the deal with your dad and Dick the Bruiser? Cause he really seemed to genuinely not like him. And for someone like your dad, who seemed to be a nice guy, obviously there's gotta be a reason for that. I mean, what, what was the beef there? I mean, Dick the Bruiser got him his start, didn't he? Yeah. Um, from what I understand, it was Dick would abuse his children and his wife. Ah, okay. And dad was not okay with that. I had heard but some rumors to, to that effect. Job, he had to stay quiet. Mm. But he hated he hated Dick for that. Yeah. You know, and I'm I have to say, I'm not completely surprised because there have long been stories about that i mean i wouldn't have brought it up if you didn't but there there have been stories about dick the bruiser uh, and in that in that vein so you know i'm not not surprised and we were friends with his wife um she went by the name rio but louise we were friends with her she lived over in indian rocks beach until the day she died and because i know another uh, another few people that he would not have the nicest things to say about were the valiants as well who he who he managed yeah, for a little he, while he thought they were kind of kind of shitty skeevy. yeah he he didn't like um i think jimmy valiant did something to his son one time tattooed him when he was a young boy and yeah. dad was like yeah no i it's he was very you know you hurt kids or old people you weren't okay in my dad's book ever that's why I brought up the Valiants, too, because it's not like I'm just trying to think of all the people your dad yeah. didn't like. But it seems to be a common denominator now of like, because I'd heard your dad actually, I think it was on the Observer radio show years ago. Your dad talked about that deal with uh, Jimmy Valiant where he tattooed his son's forehead or something. And your dad with the was the word shed and it was short for shithead. Ugh. And your dad was appalled. And again, but it yeah. says something about your dad's character because it's not like he had done anything directly to him, although I understand they no. were notoriously cheap as well. But yeah. it was more like that. I don't like this type of person. There's some, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, like I don't like the way they treat children, or I don't like the way they treat their family. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like that really says something about somebody's character when they could take a stand like that. Because the thing about the Dick the Bruiser thing, and the reason I asked this, because and, I, and now I understand why, if it's sort of like topics that he didn't want to broach at the time, there's always been these weird, vague reasons that he would give. Like, I remember he would say, like, well, he wasn't paying me enough or, you know, I wanted a bigger payoff. And I would go like, I don't know if I totally buy that because that kind of thing happens all the time. Like, it had to be more than that. And I guess yeah, it was more than may that. may have been part of it, but no. it, it was more than that. Yeah. 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 That's a shame. But again, it's like. You you know, in a business like this, to to even find somebody that that has character like that, especially back then, it when it was such a carny business, is yeah. is rare. So you know, I mean, your dad deserves a lot of credit for that. Isn't it so true? They always say 
that very often the bad guys in wrestling are the nicest guys. It's the baby faces <laughs> who are the assholes yeah. a lot of the time, right? Yes. Your dad's and one of my example. favorites this day and age. Well, I think he's retired. I got Lord. I, you know what? I don't even know. Um, but Booker T was always just such a, he was always such a good guy to myself, my husband, my kids, you know, anytime he saw my kids or anything, he remembered my son's name when he was a little boy. I mean, just they meet how many different people, even being, you know, who my dad was, why would he remember my son's name that he saw a year before? It just, he was always really cool like that. And um, he always remembers my son's husband's name and everything. So, I mean, it's, it's a small world. And um, I think your character says a lot about you. And I think dad knew that early on. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, he sounds like he was a great guy. And it also sounds like you had, you had a pretty good childhood, which I think in wrestling, is something to be thankful for and yeah and i'm I grateful i had an amazing childhood yeah i can i can just tell it's just it, it it it's very clear that you you know it's something that is a positive for you rather than a negative which sometimes happens in the business so yeah and i'm i'm grateful that you took the time to come and talk about it and talk about your dad and just i don't need to tell you this i know you know this but your dad is one of the most loved and admired people ever in wrestling. I mean, especially for, you know, people that actually saw him and remember him. Yeah. I, there's nobody that doesn't admire and respect the work of Bobby the Brain Heenan. Exactly. So know that. You like my husband, too, who absolutely hated him, but they admired his timing and the way he was able to get under your skin. And of course, John came to admire him much more for other things later on, you know, being his son-in-law and stuff. But um, he's like, even when he was the bad guy and he annoyed the crap out of him, he was still, you know, damn, was he funny though too, you know, so. Yep, absolutely. Well, Jessica, again, thank you so much for this. This was a blast. I really enjoyed talking to you about absolutely. your Absolutely. Have me have me back anytime. I'd love to talk more. I'm a Heenan. I love to talk. And remember, as your dad once said, a friend in need is a pest. Is a pest, yes. <laughs> there you have it, folks. My fun-filled interview with Jessica Solt. Her very first, as I'm going to brag one more time, her very first podcast appearance. Jessica, thank you so much for doing that. And I'm going to reiterate what I said. We all loved your dad. We all thought that he was a genius and one of wrestling's all-time greatest performers. And it was my pleasure to speak to you. And it's going to be my pleasure to keep bringing these conversations to you, the listeners of Shut Up and Wrestle. So I'm excited to say for next week's 80th episode, I have one I've wanted to do for a while now, a, an old friend of mine in the wrestling media business, another super fan and a mile a minute wrestling mind that you guys are going to love. I'm talking about Mike Edison. Mike is a person with a life and career that defies explanation, but I know for a lot of wrestling fans, they may know him from the pages of wrestling's main event magazine back in the day. He's also the author of several books that are related to wrestling, among other topics. And he has provided a fascinating and breakneck-paced interview for next week that you are going to love. So buckle your seatbelts and get ready for that. And I've got more episodes on the way to Shut Up and Wrestle. I've been talking about Megan Baker Kelly, the daughter of Ox Baker, that interview is on the way. I've also been talking to Carl Stern, Dragon King Carl, noted wrestling historian. Can't wait for that one. Looking to bring him on the show. And as well, as we approach the 90th episode, I know it's still a ways off. We're just getting ready to hit 80, but I already have this in mind. For the 90th episode, I'm going to be dropping another of my From the Archive interviews. I'm not going to say who it is yet. I haven't fully decided but I know it's going to be a big one, and I'll let you know when I decide who it's going to be. So keep listening to the show. Our website is suawpod.com. That is the place you can go to find all episodes of Shut Up and Wrestle. If you're looking to follow the show, subscribe to it, listen to 
recent episodes, specifically the past year's worth, you will find it wherever you find your favorite podcasts. I'm talking about Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Spotify. I like to use that one. Wherever you go, you will find it. You'll also find us on Facebook, the Shut Up and Wrestle Facebook group is a laugh a minute. There's fun there every day. There's new content every single day. So come on and join the 1,000 plus members of the Shut Up and Wrestle Facebook group. Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon on Facebook. The Wrestling News every morning. It is your daily morning update on the news of professional wrestling from the Arcadian Vanguard team. You can find it at thewrestlingnews.com. You can also find it on the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube page. So please check it out. Subscribe to it. It is truly a labor of love for the Arcadian Vanguard team that we bring to you every morning. So do check it out. Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic. My book is still available on Amazon.com, at Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. You can buy it online in digital form as well, print form. You can get it in audio form, read by me. So I hope you will do that. If you haven't picked up a copy already, what are you waiting for? It is an award-winning book. Come on, people, check it out. Check it out. The magazines that I write for, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, you can pick up at pwi-online.com. You can order it there in print and digital form. I already mentioned Inside the Ropes magazine at the top of the show. I'll mention it again. You can get it at InsideTheRopesMagazine.com. If you happen to be looking for me on social media, you will find me on Twitter or Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. You can find me on Facebook. My author page on Facebook is Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and saying goodnight, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. So long, wrestling fans. 